DJ and PK is brought to you by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Well, PK, right in the middle of the season, there are games going on. March Madness, we're down to 16 teams, four Pac-12 teams. Two, I'm not really surprised are there. Two, I got to admit, I'm completely surprised are there. And so we got that tournament going on. We got the Jazz starting to look like the Jazz again. They got a team from the bottom half of the Eastern Conference, and they beat them soundly. Dominated, went on a 19-0 run in the first half, took hope away, and cruised home with a 25-point victory on the last game of a road trip, which we always know is really hard. Your legs are dead. You've been on the road forever. In their case, uh, most of a month now, one home game. So we got those storylines. And then over here, we got the University of Utah looking for a basketball coach. And these stories intersect because if you're the Utes, you need to hire a coach pretty quickly because coach needs to get assistance. And you're going to start needing to get into the transfer portal. It is go time as soon as the uh, the tournament is done. It'll be it'll be on. So they got to move it along. They got time, but they don't have a lot of time. They got to move pretty quickly here. And they got candidates, some we know, some we probably don't know. Uh, and one of them, Alex Jensen, is right in the middle of a season and they're assisting the Jazz and can they make a run at it? Is there a chance there's an NBA title out there and do you walk away from that? But it's the alma mater. It's right up the hill. You don't even, you literally don't even have to sell your house, which coaches frequently are bouncing all over the place. It's an incredible opportunity. And we got another guy. It's his alma mater, too. And he was on the Jazz staff and moved away the Knicks. And, I mean, the Johnny Bryan story is an incredible story. How you go from working guys out as a personal trainer, doing your own thing, uh, you know, that <laughs> hustling to make a living and building a rep, and you end up the number one assistant of the New York Knicks. That's an incredible story. He's interested in it. Uh, and there are more names we can throw in into the pot here. Where is this going? What do you know? What do you suspect? What do you got? What do I got? Anything. Well, Alex has to decide what he wants to do. Does he want to be a college coach or does he want to be an NBA head coach? And in the short term, if you take the college job, you would get a raise. But would you be able to get back in as an NBA head coach? And you're on the precipice, the cusp of a childhood dream to be an NBA head coach. Thank you, Gordon. You know, he was there with the Cleveland situation, and I actually talked to him about this. Um, the, the Cleveland owner had some connection in Michigan, and they went with Beelan there. Didn't work out, obviously. Uh, and what does he want to do? You know, he would get a raise right now. Uh if that matters, if, if, if money is the number one thing for you, I don't know if it is or it isn't. I've not ever spoken to Alex Jensen, whom I've known since 1994, about money. So I have no idea about that. But clearly he would get a raise in the interim because I, I would assume, uh, this, is my, this is my guess, that uh, the job at Utah, $2 million, and a fair figure. I think that would uh, – I would be surprised if it were less than that. Yeah. It could be more than that. Well, obviously, it has been more than that, and it, it could be more than that, uh, depending on your resume and how bad they want you and what it takes just, to, to just, get you. You know, all that's got to be negotiated. Go conservatively, but low Conservatively, estimate. I think $2 million is a good number. Yeah, and, and so that – he's not making $2 million. I don't know that any assistant in the NBA is making $2 million, but I do know that assistants are making a million or so. Uh, 
so you would get a pay raise if that's a big deal to you, but then it sidetracks you from being an NBA head coach. Right? And how so much is, does the alma mater appeal to you? And how much of that does that just mean nothing? You're on the NBA track. and uh, yeah, I mean, I think it means something. But if you want to be an NBA coach, it's like Andy Reid for years. Oh, let's get Andy Reid. You know what I mean? We've heard that a million times from BYU fans, right? Well, Andy Reid wants to be an NFL coach. It doesn't mean he dislikes or doesn't honor or love his alma mater. He certainly does. He speaks of it often. But at the same time, he wants to be an NFL head coach, which he is, and he's probably a Hall of Fame NFL coach, right? Oh, yeah. And now he's in his approaching mid-60s. Yeah. And so it doesn't look like he would jump. But, you know, even when he was in Philadelphia, he was a very good coach. Philadelphia had a lot of winning. Didn't win at all, but they had a lot of winning. Uh, And then KC, a lot of winning, and then he has won it all. So it's sort of like it's the same thing there. With Alex is really good. I mean, Quinn Snyder, listen to what he has to say. gives him his highest recommendation. Well, without commenting, you know, on the specific interview slash search process, I think it's fairly obvious and and known how I feel about Alex. You know, he's incredibly important to our program and to me personally in so many ways, whether it be, you know, game management, the things that, you know, people see the most of, you know, our preparation process and teaching. He just checks all those boxes. So clearly I I, I know and I think people in the jazz know how talented Alex is. You know, I can say again, you know, how valuable Alex is and what a talented coach he is. And, you know, I know he'll be successful in a, as a head coach, you know, sometime here in the future. That's a ringing endorsement, is it not? That is about as much as you're going to get out of Quinn because he doesn't want to step in anybody's process. But I think just the fact where Alex sits during a game and how often a camera cuts, even if you don't go to games, I mean, nobody's going to games now, but you know, two years ago if you were going to games, you can see them interacting when you're there. But even if you don't go to games, you can see it on TV. You can see the way they talk when times are good during games, and you can see the way they talk when times are bad during games. So that's what I expected him to say. You know, I expected him to give him a ringing endorsement. He's going to be an NBA head coach. I really, really believe that. Will he be an NBA head coach if he takes the U job? That's a different story. That That's the obvious Because dilemma, when you say right you there. really, really believe that, if you yeah. believe that to the utmost, then he can take the U job and get his alma mater back on, back on track uh, he can live in a community where he's lived not all, but most of his life. I mean, he went off and he's a G League coach, and he went off and played. I think he played overseas for a couple of years. And he coached in St. Louis. Louis. Yeah. So, you know, but, but he's lived here most of his life, and it's got to mean something to him. So if, he's, if you believe that to the utmost, then he can do it. And there are a lot of people who move back and forth between the college and pro ranks, but were they as established? They were more established than Alex when they did it. So I'm not saying he can't get there, but he's not established enough that I can guarantee he would get there. You know, if he goes to the U and for whatever reason it goes poorly, that can make it really hard to get back on track. Well, sure, if you win two titles like Billy Donovan, yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's very And you played a little bit in the NBA. Yes. So, yeah, if if you have the Billy Donovan pedigree, you're good to go. And if he goes to Utah and wins big time, I think his NBA dream is still on track. Well, he'd be but 45 it, years old in May, mm-hmm. so he's got, he's got time. Right. 
But if he goes to the U and it goes poorly, I'm sure he can get back into the NBA as an assistant coach. But it's cost him time, and how far away is he from being a head coach then? Is it a setback? Right. Most likely, yes, in terms of getting an NBA head coaching job. Right now, he's on the track to get – when you've got – and I think the Jazz are well-respected in the league. You just look at Johnny Bryan as an example. You look at uh, Walt Perrin as an example. You look at Troy Weaver as an example. And those are guys that are just off the top of my head. Yep. Oh, who's the young kid? Zach, Zach. Guthrie. Zach yeah. Guthrie's another guy who got right. was in Utah and got a job and left. And who's the guy who went to uh, Cleveland? Um, I'm blanking on Patterson. his name. Yes. Andre Patterson. So there's a long list of people who yeah. obviously, yeah, yeah. you know, I think you got to divide the NBA into two groups. There's the glamour franchises, which are somewhere between, I don't know, four to eight of those ten tops. And there's everybody else. And everybody else has got to do it the hard way. And the Jazz are, out of the teams doing it the hard way, where you can't just go out and buy you know, Hall of Fame talent on the free agent market or have Hall of Fame talent uh, you know, stamp their feet at their current club and say, I want to go there, and, and they go there in a couple of weeks. That's the easy way. If the team's doing it the hard way, then the Jazz are at the top of that list, and that's why their people keep getting hired away. Because they want to know, okay, what have you got? What can we we got to pick your brain and learn from you? Because clearly you got something we don't have. Yeah, right? winning organization. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, if I were Alex, and this is, and you want to be an NBA head coach, if you really, really, if that's your ultimate desire, then I'd stay where he's at. He's a great situation. Quinn Snyder's got a Quinn Snyder's got a great situation. Yep, and so he's the boss, and if he loves his assistant, in this case Alex, you know he's obviously got more yeah. assistants, but we're just speaking about Alex. Uh, if he loves Alex, then you are really secure, and then you could be a little bit choosy. You don't even necessarily have to go into a bad situation because you got a great situation here. Now, if you want to be a head coach. And that's your desire, and you don't really care where it's at. Well, Utah's a good spot. The, I, so I don't that know brings the up ch- the question, how much does he want to recruit? Because I've heard, and you've probably heard, and I have not heard it directly from Alex. You know, assistant coaches are kind of off limits and all that kind of stuff. So I have never had this conversation with him. But he recruited when he was at St. Louis. And okay. there are coaches who want – there are good coaches who want no part of the college game because they don't want to recruit. They don't want to go up against people who are cheating. They don't want to grovel to AAU coaches and 16-year-olds. And they just they don't want to do it. Now, there are other people who don't mind it. There are other people who seem to embrace it to some degree. So how does Alex feel about that? Does he want to sign on for that? Because if he doesn't like that process, then there's no reason to take that job. It's a big part of the job. Kyle's told us a million times. Other coaches have told us. I think Kalani just said it in the last week or so. You know, it's a big part of the job. And if you don't like it, then don't take that job. You know, that's. But if he's going to, there's, you know, reports. Well, that's an he's obvious, gonna, though. But there's reports he's going to interview for the job. So oh, I, why wouldn't you interview for the job? Yeah. Uh, because you're in the middle of a season and you don't really want it. Well, you interviewed for BYU. I don't think he wanted it. It's always good to interview. Interviewing is a skill. The more you do it, the more comfortable you'll get. And and it's not just that. Your eyes could be open to where you start thinking differently. 
post-interview. At no point did I think I was going to move to Utah until I said yes. <laughs> True story. At no point. I came up here. They flew me up here. And one of the reasons I, I came up here is I had a friend who had moved up here recently. Uh, and I was going to play golf with him. And we used to play golf a lot down in California. And then he moved away. I hadn't played golf with him in a year. And I thought, oh, oh fine. They're going to give me a uh, a free trip up? Sure, what the heck? And I, I didn't think that's part of the reason why I got the job, because I was so flippant about it. I, I, I had no intention of taking it. Well, they kept making it sweeter and sweeter. And they asked me, you know, what they gave me his choice of stuff to cover. Uh, and the most prominent was, uh, do you want to cover Utah football or you cover Utah basketball? Well, I hadn't heard jack about Utah football. I knew nothing about it. But I knew stuff about Utah basketball. So I said, well, yeah, I'll take Utah basketball. And they said, okay, uh, give us, uh, this is like on a Thursday, let us know over the weekend. And a friend of mine took me in a car and on a Sunday said, get in the car. And he locked the door. And we drove around till he, uh, till I said, yeah, I'll take the job. Because he thought it was my best interest and I knew he had my best interest at heart. And I took the job. So even though I had no intention of taking it when I got on the plane to come up here, I ended up taking it, obviously. So it's not just to interview to increase your interview skills. You could find out that stuff that you didn't know about. And this is a really great opportunity. Who's to say? The thing about Utah, though, is that I think they deserve – this program doesn't need a first-time head coach. That's what I would say about the program. So does being a G League coach or you want to hire someone, which is kind of the Chris Hill style of hiring, obviously he's not doing the hiring, but he liked to hire, you know, Majerus had had good teams at Ball State, right? Jack Aletti won the Big Sky Tournament Eastern Washington and got them into the NCAA tournament. So he always wanted someone who had won at the college level. Johnny Bryant hasn't been a head coach. Right. And I think somebody should be a head coach. And Alex has been a head coach, but it was yeah. G League. He wasn't running a college program. And there's more than just being the head coach. There is something said, like, you're the guy who's got to decide to stand up and call timeout. You know, yeah, yeah, decisions yeah. are Alex different than suggestions. He's been a head coach. So when you say that, is that because you want someone to run a college program or just have been a head coach? Been a head coach. I think the program is worthy of someone who's been a head coach. That's just my opinion. Yeah. DJ and PK, to be continued. Ben Anderson, jazz writer for KSLSports.com. Coming up next, jazz with a 25-point win in Chicago. Coming home to play the Nets. We'll see who plays for the Nets. That's another question. We'll talk with Ben Anderson next. Stay with us. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. So I'm trying to get my phone to not call me Hans. All right, try it again. Don't call me Hans. Okay, what should I call you? Hans. You'd like me to call you Hats. Is that right? <laughs> No. <laughs> pants. You'd like me to call you pants. It's <laughs> the dumbest thing. Like Lance or Dance. What is my name, Google? Your name is Hans. God, stupid, dumb thing. Could you call me Hans, Ned? You'd like me to call you handsome. Is that right? Well, it's better than Hans, yeah. 
Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to 3. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you by Davis Vision. Davis Vision is giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Time to welcome in Ben Anderson, jazz writer for KSLSports.com. Ben, good morning. Good morning. So, Ben, our question, having watched the Jazz dismantle the Bulls, win by 25, the kind of stuff they were doing back in January, find a team at or below 500 and crush them, hit the threes, deny all the easy layups, get rid of a bunch of, a slew of just silly, sloppy turnovers that give teams hope, and blow a team out. You see that, do you think the Jazz are back on track, or do you want to see more before you announce something like that? No, I think they're certainly trending back in that right direction. I think they were a little rusty coming back out of the all-star break. So I think it's trending in that direction. I don't think they're going to get back to playing the way they did in the first half of the season. I think that's just an unusually hot stretch that teams tend to go on, and, and, and not often, but the fact that it doesn't happen often is probably more an indicator that we won't see them get back to that point. But I do think they're probably somewhere in the middle and closer to what we saw last night as being their true identity versus what we saw those first four games coming out of the all-star break. So I want to go back to the Philly loss, and that was frustrating on a number of different levels, obviously. But one of the frustrating parts for me was to see Joe Ingles and, and to an extent, Jordan Clarkson playing very well, but you get down to five minutes to go, and you go back with the starters, and it doesn't necessarily matter how the starters are playing. And I'm looking at Bogdanovich specifically. And then you go into overtime, and so Joe and Clarkson, certainly Joe, uh, they become spectators the last 10 minutes of the game, essentially, because of the fact that they extended five more minutes for the overtime, and that's where I get my other five minutes. My thought is those two in particular have earned themselves the opportunity under the right circumstances that Quint Snyder gets to decide as far as closing games rather than going with a specific formula. How do you view that and what they should do when you get in those situations? Yeah, Quinn's always been pretty rigid in those situations. It certainly changes in the playoffs. He's been willing to, to go out and mix things up depending on certain matchups. And then since that Philly game, we've seen a couple of alterations. There was one where Joe Ingles did stay in. I don't right. remember if it was the Wizards game or, or what it was. And then uh, certainly Rudy Gobert closed the entire fourth quarter and the Jazz went over the Raptors. So I, I do think Quinn Snyder probably agreed with that at that point, too, that, hey, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich, what he's doing now is, you know, whether it's a funk or whether it's who he is or whether he's coming back from an injury and it's not going to get better until next year, whatever the problem is, you know, I do think you probably need to be willing to work around that, especially if your goal is to say, hey, we're just being, we're just going to put ourselves in the best situation to win as many games as possible so you can get to the playoffs with the, with the number one seed. It can't be just about kind of defining that rigid identity that you've talked about. So when you get to the playoffs, that's what you're going to rely on. Because I don't think the Jazz are set that that is the identity they're going to rely on when they get to the playoffs. I do still think the best version of the Jazz is probably if Boyan Bogdanovich comes back, plays like he started or like he did most of last season, if he can get back to shooting close to 40% from three, and he already is. Uh, but if he can, he's just clearly not having the same impact he did last season. If that comes back, it's worth continuing to give him opportunities to see if you can find that rhythm. But now that we've got, what, 30 games left in the season, right around there, I won't be surprised if, if you do start to see more lineups or more lineup adjustments, even late in games, even if you continue to start Boyan, just to see 
if there's a different closing unit you need to go with. So I'm under the assumption that now that we've seen the Ursan Ilias Sova debut in, in what was clearly garbage time, that there will be some effort to work him in the rotation somehow. And whether that's working him into the rotation proper or whether that's, hey, they're going to rest guys down the stretch and so guys are going to take on different roles depending on who's sitting every night, that they got him for insurance. They need to have him play a little bit in case there's an injury or a matchup and a need. How do you think he's going to be used going forward now that he's, he's finally played? I agree with that. I think the concept of that, that, that it would be nice if it was a guy that could step in and plug and play and, and be ready to go if you need him. I don't know if Quinn Snyder's going to be willing to do that because I think you could have made that same argument for Shaq Harrison. And I don't know if Arsene Ilyasovas, you know, better than George Niang at this point in his career, so he's not going to jump anybody in the rotation. But you're right, if there's an injury or if Boyan for some reason is unplayable come the postseason or you want a little bit better rebounding, which is something Ilyasova does, it's probably ideal to get him out there the best way to do it, and I think Quinn Snyder would tell you this, is you know win games by 25 like you did last night and let him play for six minutes in the fourth quarter. But I do think you could start to see a couple of plug-and-play minutes where you know Mieoni's had a few stints where he'll get three minutes at the end of the first quarter and three minutes at the end of the third quarter just to try and get him used to playing with starters and get him used to playing with the other guys in the rotation. The good news is, honestly, Ilyasova should be more plug-and-play in case there's an emergency than a guy like Oni because he's played whatever it is, 800 games, and he's started 400 games, and he's been in the NBA for 13 years. There's just He should have a general sense of what is going to be asked of him, what his best role is going to be, how he can help a team, where you don't necessarily need to carve out minutes from somebody else to get him on the floor. But, but I will be curious if Quinn Snyder starts to find ways to strategically rest some of his players down the stretch so they are a little bit fresher from the, or from the postseason. So one of the things that has plagued the Jazz to an extent has been these slow starts, particularly offensively. And it's hard to put your finger on it, but obviously against the Bulls, that wasn't the case. So I'm wondering if you think it's just about a mindset to make sure that you're ready to go when the game starts. You don't have to necessarily blitz them and be up by 20, but you've got to have some flow early. I do think some of it's trying to get Boyan Bogdanovich involved, and I hate to make it sound like he's this punching bag because he's certainly not playing well again, like I mentioned, but but he's not playing, I think, as poorly as some people think he is. He's just not playing anywhere near as well as he did last season. But I do think there's some you know goal to get him involved early, and he tries to put the ball on the floor, and then he turns it over, and he's not a terrific defender. And when you turn the ball over the way he does, he doesn't throw it out of bounds. He tries to make these weird, long, cross-court skip passes, and he dribbles into somebody's leg, and, and you know it ends up as a layup going the other direction. And that not only gives somebody two points, but it takes away your opportunity to get two points. I mean, it really ends up being you know, almost a three- or four-point turnover every single time Boyan touches it when he has those turnovers. And if he's doing it two times, or in the last couple of weeks, it seems like he's doing it basically three times every quarter, uh, you know, that's six points, eight points potentially that, that he's giving up. But I think that's felt like a huge, huge hole at the end of the first quarter where, you know, you're down 29, 23, or 28 to 20. And he's certainly been a part of that. And then other guys, I think, start pressing around and try and make up some of that, that deficit. So I think last night when he only had one, you honestly saw kind of the, the advantage of that. And he didn't particularly play well again. Uh, he didn't play well necessarily in the first quarter. But I do think that's the big issue, honestly, is just turning the ball over and not playing so sloppy and coming out a little more focused, like you mentioned, this attitude that, hey, you know, the game has to be a full 48 minutes. You can't play a good 36 minutes and just an okay 12 to start the game. 
especially now that every team in the NBA is gunning for you. And they're going to be gunning for you because they're going to be so ready to play you in the first quarter because they're excited to play the number one team in the NBA. So how long does that last and how long before we see teams, and, and I think the Nets could be an example of it, hey, you've already got two of your three stars out. That's established. Now you got to go back-to-back. Back. Uh, you're coming in from the West Coast. Sit, guys. I mean, we're getting to the time of season where the, the teams at the bottom tend to tank. Maybe this new playoff changes it, and maybe that doesn't. I don't know how much it excites the Warriors to be in a 7-8-9-10 game. Uh, where do you think this is going? Because I'm, I'm just not convinced everyone's going to be cranked up this time of year. We've seen a lot of teams mail it in down the stretch. Yeah, I agree. I don't think we're going to see anywhere near a full-strength Lakers team when the Jazz play them in back-to-back games. And, and maybe, you know, if LeBron is back, maybe he plays one of those two games but doesn't play both. I think you're right. I just, you know, t- teams aren't out there trying to win every game down the stretch. Some teams are. The Suns probably should be. The Jazz probably should be because there's going to be an advantage to them being younger and playing at home when it comes to the playoffs. But the Clippers know they can win anywhere. The Lakers know they can win anywhere. Denver should probably have a little bit of confidence that they can play well, though they've never been super consistent. Even you know last season they were as good as they were late, but they weren't that, that good early in the season. So I, I do think you're going to start to see some of that a little bit more. The teams that are going to be most confident are Brooklyn, who you talked about, uh, and then, of course, both Los Angeles teams. Uh, I'll be curious how the rest of the West handles it because, you know, there's just not a lot of separation now. I mean, Dallas is fighting to prove that, you know, Luka's an MVP candidate and Long's in the playoffs every year, and they probably should be, but haven't played great this year. I think Golden State would like to make it back this year, so they're not going to rest guys down the stretch, I don't think. I think they're going to make a real push to try and get in there. San Antonio would probably like to make it, but let's see what happens in the next 48 hours if they trade DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge and are, are happy to just fall back. So, but I, I'm with you. I don't think the Jazz are going to get good teams trying to bring playoff performances in the second half of the season. You might get some of these younger teams or bad teams trying to prove themselves. But the Jazz have, you know, outside of the Wizards and maybe the Pelicans a couple of weeks ago, they've done a pretty good job proving that they can dismiss those teams and, and handle those teams even when they bring a good effort. So since the Philly game in which the two players got fined, the Jazz have taken 262 free throws versus 99 in the six games for the opposition since Gobert and Mitchell had their outbursts. You think that's more than a coincidence? No, I mean, I think that's why you do it, and I think it, it, it works. I think it matters. I think you have to be willing to go out and fight for yourself, and you know, maybe Boyan Bogdanovich needs to do it now because he, he seems to get really frustrated as he tries to get calls at the rim and, and doesn't get them, so maybe he needs to go out there and, and earn a fine or two, but uh, no, I think it matters. I think it's a good thing to do. I think you're willing to put your money where your mouth is and say that, hey, we're not getting a good whistle. We get contact at the rim. And, and you know, Donovan Mitchell shot 16 free throws the other day. You, you've got to back it up by being willing to continue to attack. You have to put the reps in a situation where they do have to call those fouls. But, yeah, those are those are good finds. I think that's that's going to be a, a very good uh, purchase for, for both Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell down the stretch of the games uh, to finish the season where they are getting the free throw line more and, and it makes your life a little bit easier. It gets you to that free throw line, and, and, and that's where you need to be to be efficient. And Donovan Mitchell could certainly use an, you know, a boost in his efficiency as, as it's kind of dropped off midseason. So I think those are valuable. I think that was probably a smart time to do it. You knew people were watching because it was the number one team in the East and the number one team in the West. And you were getting down to the All-Star break. I think, you know, I don't want to say it was planned like that, but I think they certainly understood that, hey, something needs to change or they want to see something change, and this is a good opportunity to call for that. So, 
I'm interested in your previous answer about the teams that know they can do it and can kind of turn it on and turn it off, and the other teams that can't. And I'm with you on the Lakers. I'm not sure I'm with you on the Clippers though, because you know Kawhi's been impressive and he's won two titles with two clubs, and I think. Uh, most of the NBA assumed that he would elevate the Clippers uh, right to the edge of that level. If you know, if the Lakers denied him, so be it. But at least they'd be right there. And something isn't right. They've gone out in the second round of the playoffs. They've pretty much blown the team up around him, fired the coach, uh, changed a lot of players. And now they're fourth, and something's still wrong. And I'm wondering if it isn't the talent thing because there's too much fantasy basketball. He's talented. But he is clearly one of the quietest. The, the, when it comes to being a loner in the NBA, he's one of the best examples. Maybe he's the best example. And so there isn't the leadership. There isn't the camaraderie. It seems clear that the Clippers missed that last year and that they're missing it this year. How big an issue is that in your mind? How much was he a product of? He was in really strong or- organizations and cultures in San Antonio and Toronto, and now the Clippers are a little more in flux and they need more leadership out of him, and Serge Ibaka seems to have made this clear. Where are they? Where are they headed? Yeah, I think you're right, and I think you look at some of the leaders they've had around them, whether it was Tim Duncan or Tony Parker or Manu Ginobili or Kyle Lowry, who's a very underrated leader and was certainly the kind of the key factor on that team as far as having a voice and being somebody with the Raptors that was going to you know, make them believe they could win a championship. Kawhi's good enough to get you there. But, yeah, you probably need somebody to rally around. And Paul George has proven he's not bad. He likes to talk a lot. He has huge performances. He's very good. But he clearly has issues where he disappears for stretches or the game isn't as impactful as it looks like it's going to be. And Kawhi's going to do his thing, and he's going to get be very solid and get to, you know, 28 points and be one of the best defensive players in the world. But, yeah, for whatever reason, there is some gap there. So I, I think I'm with you. I don't necessarily know if they can flip the switch. They did last night against the Hawks, but – they certainly seem to believe they can flip the switch for whatever reason, even though it's the Clippers and they're the most cursed franchise in the NBA. They seem to have this faith that, that they can just turn it on when they need to. So I think that's why they're trying to be aggressive in the next 48 hours. They've been tied to trying to go out and get a guy like Kyle Lowry. They could certainly use that point guard leader that comes in and is a voice and is a fighter uh, that you know Patrick Beverly, I think, probably wants to think he is or people want to think he is, but he clearly doesn't have that impact on the floor. So they probably need another piece. We'll see if, uh, you know, the move they made last night where they traded Cabangelé to clear up a couple of million dollars is just to get them under the cap and they're done, or if they're going to try and wield and deal and make something else done, uh, or make another deal, I should say, to, to bring in a player that can push them over the edge. But I think you're right. I think they lack, as weird as it sounds, championship-level experience, despite the fact that they have a two-time finals MVP on the roster. Ben, as always, we appreciate a little time. Thanks for dropping by and talking, uh, talking jazz and talking NBA. Thanks, guys. Ben Anderson, jazz writer for KSLSports.com. DJ and PK, we got Jeff Judkins coming up. The former Ute, now the BYU women's basketball head coach, and they won in the NCAA tournament with a big second-half rally. He's going to join us coming up in about 20 minutes. Stay with us. The Big Show, the big show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Did you see the Craig Smith news? Yeah, staying. Don't give him too much credit for sticking around. He decided to stay after he didn't get the job. How do you know he didn't pass? Because, come on, he obviously wanted the job, right? He interviewed for it. I think it might be a little more complicated than that. He looked upon the woman, as it says in the good book. So is King David all of a sudden we're talking about? <laughs>
Is Minnesota Bathsheba? All I think Austin and I said was, he didn't get the Minnesota job. And you went with, this is a married man with a Tinder account. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what just happened. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by The Store. The Store has grab-and-go meals and hundreds of local products. The Store has two locations, in Holiday at 6200 South and 2050 East, also in the Gateway Mall in downtown Salt Lake City. That's The Store. All right, PK, we just heard from Ben Anderson on the Jazz. You had a few things to hit him on there. And one of the things, and you got a column coming out on this, free throws. The Jazz are getting more of them. Officials are human beings. They can be worked. And if you tell them you're doing a terrible job, and presumably behind the scenes all along, the team has occasionally been sending in video of, what is this? And the combination of the two things has yielded more free throws. Not an accident. Still has to do with how you play. And as Ben pointed out, you can't just shoot 43s, but they can shoot a bunch of threes and attack the room with a bunch of layups and dunks because they have largely, not completely, but largely eliminated those mid-range shots. Donovan will still take a bunch of them, but not many other people do. Correct, yeah. And you can complain about individual calls. And I've been right next to many benches over the years and the referees, when they are jumped on, it's usually when there's a huge disparity in free throws. And majorists love to point that out. And one time Steve Cleveland, uh, they were playing, I forget who they were playing, but it was a conference game. And they got like four fouls. I don't even remember the number. But they got a number of fouls right off the bat, practically before the first media timeout. And so, Steve, of course, you're working the rest. That's part of the job that you have to do. And the referee, I could hear him, said, hey, take it easy. We're four minutes into the game, meaning it's going to even out. Hmm. (laughs) Not that we're going to fix it on purpose and just even it out because we're supposed to, but that's essentially what he was saying. We'll take care of it. And those things are important. So I believe that Gobert and Mitchell, absolutely, at that time, I supported what they said 100%. And in the six games since, they've shot 262 free throws versus 99 for the opposition. I just don't think that's a coincidence. (laughs) It doesn't seem like it should be. I'd love to argue with you, but it doesn't seem like it. And i got to say, if you had told me when they walked off the podium that these would be the free throw numbers uh, by the time you get to the Chicago game, do you want to take over, under, or spot on? I'd have taken under. I am surprised it has yielded this, and nonetheless it has. You're surprised? To I'm surprised degree, you're surprised. I, and that's why I said it, because I thought you would be. I'm admitting I'm wrong about predicting the future. But to this degree, give me those numbers one more time. Well, unless my math is off, six games, 262 versus 99. Yeah, you're out shooting people two and a half to one. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Not, not uh, 162 to 99. Okay, now I'm not so surprised. I had not added them up for myself. 262 would blow me away. I was going to say, like, wow, that's a massive disparity. 162 to 99. That's still still a sizable disparity. That is. Right. But it's also believable because refs are human. And, And there's multiple things going on here. 
there's a former assistant coach in the league who's told me who gets assigned to the game is wildly underrated. They don't. Everybody, all the conspiracy theorists out there, this guy doesn't buy that at all. He doesn't buy that somewhere there's all these secret memos and one day they'll all be presented and everybody will be busted. He said, no, everybody knows who gets along and who doesn't. Everybody knows who has grudges and who doesn't. It's a small world. It's no different than whatever company you work at that has 84 employees. Everybody knows who gets along and who doesn't and who's a pain in the butt and who isn't. He said, you can get a and, and this guy's worked for multiple coaches and all that or, and competing against multiple coaches. And like, we get refs. And I'm like, I know referee C can't stand Coach F over here. I know when we, as soon as I know that, I know shooting. F is a bad. You're probably right, but that's the word that's probably coming back (laughs) at the ref that is going to make the calls be lopsided. And he knows. He said, "I'm telling our guys, attack the rim, attack the rim. This coach, this ref hates this coach, and whether it's conscious or subconscious, it's going to happen. You're going to go to the free throw line. I think the other thing that the team controls, and this is where vets are savvy, and this is where somebody like LeBron." Jordan was good at it. Kobe was good at it. The best players, when they get to that point in their career, and the faster Mitchell and Gobert can speed this up, the better it'll be. But when a team makes a mistake of committing a couple of silly fouls early in a quarter and it makes it easier to get to the bonus, the Kobe's and LeBron's of the world don't miss that. They make sure they get a couple more. They get their team into the bonus, and they're like, guys, the rest of this quarter, we are shooting free throws. And there is an art to that, to being able to draw the free throws without taking you out of their offense. But honestly, those guys are awesome at it. And it's something that you're just not going to be good at your third year in the league. But the sooner you learn it, the more those numbers you talk about, those free throw numbers, there's a reason those disparities happen. It isn't just one thing. It isn't just referees with grudges, but it's partly that. It isn't just coaches who work refs, although that's part of it. It isn't who's been called out in the media. That's part of it. And then you also got, you got to know, Majerus was right. The score, the situation, in this case, where the fouls are. And when you get a chance early in the quarter to get a team in a bonus, you got to work it. 61 free throws. Uh, advantage in a six games over six games, I think is significant. Oh so yeah, what coach does it? Sixty-two to 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 ninety-nine. I think that, that is that is seven to eight points. That's ten free throws a yeah. game, and that translates into seven to eight points in a league where there are a lot of games decided by three, five, and seven points. Absolutely, you want that. I advantage. saw a thing on Kobe once where he studied. This is then Kobe had high intellect. Mm-hmm. Not just basketball intellect, obviously he had that, mm-hmm. but he had high just intelligence. He was a very intelligent man, and he studied where the referees were on the floor uh-huh. as they made their calls, and he found, I saw this, was fascinating to me, maybe it's boring to others, but I found it fascinating, is that he studied where they are on the floor relative to where the ball is on the offensive position. So he's dealing from the offensive standpoint. And he thought there was a little weakness in the three combined visions of six eyes, and, I, and I'm I'm going liberally here. I'm not quoting exactly exactly, as I combine accurately and exactly and accurately, which should That's, be a word. It should totally be a word. <laughs> Let's make that happen. <laughs> and he studied this, and he said, and if I remember correctly, there's a little portion along the right elbow where he thought was a blind spot. And he thought from the offensive perspective, he can get away with using his hands a little bit on the 
on the defender's body to create a little more space and separation that he needed to get off a, a better look at the shot. And I thought, wow, I mean, that, that's the level that he was going to to figure out how to be the best that he could be, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're leaving no, un- no stone unturned at that point. And when you're that, uh, what exactly, <laughs> as far as what you're trying to do. And I think you need to be aware of that. And I think that, and it was an, an emotional outburst by, uh, by Mitchell more so than Gobert. Mm-hmm. I thought Gobert was a little more calculated. He was. But I think it needed to be said. It absolutely needed to be said because... There had been not just – and it wasn't just about the Philly game. If it would have been just about the Philly game, well, that would have been a little bit of, you know, sour grapes. You lost the game. Although in the Philly game, they uh, – Philly took 35 free throws to only 19 for the Jazz. So what's that, uh, 16 more? And so – but it wasn't just about that game individually. It was an accumulation, and it had built up, and it overflowed. And they needed to say – that that absolutely was essential to those post-game comments it had to have been said i don't care about the fine and all that no fine you want to sometimes you got to do something even though there's going to be a consequence that would be perceived as negative and finding these guys 20 and twenty-five thousand when you're making this kind of cash i mean what's the big deal there but it was more about the message Okay, the league says you can't do this. Well, so what? This needs to be done, and I don't give a bleep about your rules. Go ahead and find me. Fine. Do what you need to do. But this needs to be said. And now, in the six games, they have a 61 free throw advantage. Yes, absolutely it needed to be said. And I support them 100%. And I think the, the everybody in the league, including the refs, knew exactly what was said that night. By all of that, I especially think you need to underline that Gobert was calculated. Everything was calculated right from the point that he wasn't even supposed to talk that night. Everybody knew Donovan went off. Quinn usually goes first, and for whatever reason, uh, well, I guess because Donovan got to the locker room quick because he got kicked out, so he went first. Quinn said, I heard what Donovan said, and then he said it in much nicer language and didn't get fined. But it absolutely got back to Rudy somehow, whether Rudy heard it himself or got told Rudy wasn't supposed to speak. He went out there to back up Donovan. He, Plus, that the whole the whole backstory about how they did get along, they didn't get along, they yeah. did get along again. He knew when he sat down, Donovan's crawled out on the end of the limb. He needs to be backed I'm up. I'm not going to leave him out there alone. I'm not going to leave him out there alone. I'm going to yeah. go out and get myself fined too. And right. he knew it when he sat down because he wasn't even supposed to sit down. So it created a tighter bond between those two yep. and created that. And you see this all the time. You hear this all the time throughout all sorts of levels. Uh, Patrick Ewing, uh, you know, nobody believed I could do this job because they made the NCAA tournament. They got slaughtered. I think it was by Colorado. But nevertheless, he said it, right? And you hear this. So what it created, it strengthened us against the world foxhole. Mm-hmm. situation. Stock. So on multiple levels, yep. I salute those guys for doing yeah. what they did. And it's been done forever. Stockton did it from alone. There's some playoff series, 94, 95, 96. I don't know where it was. It was before they went to the finals. I know that. 
And Malone had had two brutal games early in a series, and everybody's waiting to talk to him. And John unexpectedly came out and made himself available, was far more interesting than he usually was, answered more questions, talked longer. And when it was done, we found out Carl left through another door and wasn't talking. John was a good teammate, took the heat off Carl and said, get out of here, I'll go handle this. And you got to do that. If you're going to have a duo like that, at some point, you have to do that. And so Rudy did it. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Jeff Judkins, the former Utah basketball star, now the BYU women's basketball head coach. Another NCAA tournament, another victory in an NCAA tournament. We'll talk with Juddy about the comeback next.